0: where principled leaders are created. All
1: right, welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lipschitz. Of course, this is Powered by Prospects Live. I am here with Lance Prozdowski. This is another very special week. We have a returning guest. We've only had a few of those, but uh, it is my honor. It is Lance's honor to welcome back Emily Walden of the Athletic Detroit and a national prospect writer for the Athletic MLB. Emily, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me, guys.
3: Yeah, we're excited for this one. This is going to be fun. We, we've we done these in the past. I think we only did it one time in the past, but returning guests are always fun, I think, for me and Ralph to pick through, and I feel like we have a pretty good relationship with you, Emily, so we're really excited to hear about not only your, your trip to the AFL, which we'll definitely get into later, but also some of the recent stories you've written for the Athletic Detroit. Obviously, you have some of the best coverage of Detroit Tigers prospects around, in my opinion, and I, I'm sure Ralph would back me on that, so... uh I think right off the bat, what we wanted to get into was a story I believe that published yesterday on the 14th of November regarding Jake Rogers. Um, And specifically on this, I mean, he seems like one of the better defensive catchers in the game, uh, in the minor league, excuse me, especially on the Tigers side of things. And where I want to go with this actually and toss you the first question is related to how you think he might actually help some of the other Tigers pitchers such as Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Bo Burroughs, and the minor league system for the Tigers, and if he'll have any effect on them at all in terms of their value.
2: Yeah, I think um, just from what I know about Jake and watching him perform behind the plate, his relationship with his pitchers is a top priority, and he's always very quick to emphasize that. He wants to have that trust from the guy who he's catching for. He wants to have, you know, the understanding between the two of them. So I think that really is a strong point for him. Um, Obviously, defensively, he's as solid as they come. For the Tigers, they really, before Jake came along, they had little to no catching to speak of at the minor league level. And so being able to bring him in, obviously he's had his challenges at the plate, but defensively he's been, really he's come as advertised, is what I always tell people. That's, That's what the Tigers wanted, that's what they got. And so for him, really, it's just finding more success um, at the plate and trying to figure out really what's holding him back from being able to produce.
3: Yeah, and there was an interesting quote at the back end of that, I believe, from a scout that you talked to regarding that kind of contact rate, right? consistency in the fact that he has really good in-game BP, but then when he gets to the actual game, it seems like that peters out a little bit. Can you expand on that? I thought that was really interesting.
2: Yeah, we, we actually got into a conversation about just discussing his swing in general. He's he's generally got really good barrel control, um, does a good job in the strike zone. But it, it's almost as if when you watch V P you see that swing and you go, oh gosh, I can't wait to see that in-game. He gets in-game and it's almost like the bottom kind of falls out. And nobody really knows how to explain it. You know, you you tell people... Some, some guys just don't have that when it comes to hitting. They just don't have, you know, what makes it click when it comes to hitting. I don't necessarily believe that's the case with Jake. I think that he's a smart hitter. I think he's got the, the intellect to be a good hitter, but there's just something which he has told me multiple times. He said he believes it's mental, um, and I know that he spent a lot of time really trying to perfect and polish his stance, you know, his hands, um, his feet in the box, that was all stuff that he tried to tackle this year. And so for him, it's really just finding that missing piece. And I know the Tigers are really wanting to get that to click because he's already 23, I think, which that's about when the clock <laughs> you know, starts yeah. to tick a little bit louder. And obviously he was a double-A this sure. year, so it's not like he's behind the eight ball, but he's really going to have to get that swing working if he wants to uh, to succeed against some of those more advanced pitchers down the road.
1: Yeah. And I was going to say, like, I had actually caught uh, a doubleheader this year uh, with Erie and, and you know, Rogers was behind the plate. He actually hit a homer in the second game. So I saw some good I saw some good Rogers as well. But he does struggle with a lot of stuff off the plate. And I know that, you know, one of the big issues is obviously contact rate consistency. And I mean, you know, ultimately, what do you think the upside is with a bat?
2: You know, I think that if he can kind of tap in a little bit more into whatever it is that's missing, I think he should be able to at least hit for average. But right now, it's it, it, there's, there's a lot of work to do. There really is a lot of work to do, and he knows that. I know that you obviously don't have to, you know, put up massive numbers when you're a catcher at the major league level, but you've got to at least be able to hit 220, 230. And with him, it's there's just, there's a missing link there. And so if he's going to want to be able to advance, he's he's the number one choice to catch a triple-A next year by far. Mm-hmm. I mean, he should be able to handle triple-A catching, but can he manage against that type of pitching in the international league? That's really going to be the biggest question for him. And I know he's working on it, but it's going to have to start to click here soon.
3: Yeah, that's relatively interesting. I mean, I'm interested to see – honestly whether he becomes one of the bigger impact bats or if he's just a guy who's just a late bloomer you know because you have a lot of guys like Christian stewart Oh, i know seem to produce relatively well at the major league level and some other guys but i mean jake rogers coming forward i, I know he made a swing adjustment when he came over i believe from houston and uh um I'm, I'm gonna keep my eye on him ralph where do you think he lands in um some prospect lists do you think he's an outside the top 100 guy do you think he's kind of 100 200 where do you see him
1: uh in terms of Rogers, uh, you yeah. know, I think if if we're looking just, you know, strictly real life, you're you know, you you value catcher defense probably above everything else. I would imagine he's probably in that that two hundred, probably one fifty to two hundred window. Um, if he starts to hit, I think, you know, if, if he can tap into twenty plus power sort of upside and hit two thirty, two forty even. Um you know, I think there's I think there's a chance that he probably creeps up closer to the top 100. But you have to see some more consistency with a bat.
3: And, Emily, another one of the stories you most recently wrote was kind of an Arizona fall league check-in on uh, some of the guys in the Tiger system. One of those in particular is a guy I know me and Ralph have talked about a lot. I believe a guy also Ralph saw on that doubleheader with here who's Daz Cameron. And there was an interesting little uh, story you were telling me that I, I want you to tell regarding Mike Cameron, who came out, I believe, to see Daz in the AFL. And um, what were some of Mike's comments about Daz?
2: Yeah, he was able to come out. He just came out for, I want to say, for about a day. Um, He came out for the Fall Stars game. So he was able to fly over from Georgia, where the family is located, um, to catch that game. And the thing that I appreciate about Mike Cameron, I'm sure, you know, people remember him as a player, just having that big, very outgoing personality always you know, the charisma and all that. And uh, mm-hmm. with Daz, there's similarities to his dad, but Daz is a little bit more soft-spoken, um, just a little quieter overall in his personality. But with with Mike, he's, he's very much a realist. And I think for him, he'll admit that there are certain areas that he thinks Daz is ahead of him um, as far as where Mike was back then. And he said a lot of that has to do with the fact that Mike didn't get on the baseball field as early as Daz did. And so I think having the bloodlines of Mike's career, Daz gets to kind of take advantage of that and the fact that Mike had him on a field at a very, very young age. And so I think those instincts kind of kicked in a little bit sooner. Um, But as far as other similarities, I think we could see a little bit of that same thing when it comes to power. I know with uh with Mike Cameron, his power wasn't instantaneous. It came a little bit later on in his career when he really started to kind of hit his peak. And I think that's gonna be a bit of what we see with Daz. Daz has shown power and he's shown that he can, you know, he can hit he can hit with some punch, but I think we're not really gonna see him at full strength until a little bit later on and he's still just twenty one. So I think it'll be a couple more years before we see him at his strongest.
1: Yeah, and I you know, I, I... Caught him for, you know, another couple games during that doubleheader. He was the most impressive athlete uh, that I saw on the field that day. And that was, you know, against the New Hampshire team that obviously has Bo Bichette, a guy like Jonathan Davis, who's a a great athlete as well. But uh, he's almost gazelle-like in center field in terms of how he moves on balls. His breaks are great. Um, Really quick bat. I was really impressed by Das Cameron. I I walked away thinking, you know, that that guy's an everyday ball player and definitely somebody that has far more upside than I think I thought coming in. Um, but it's funny, and it kind of it kind of brings up the question because Lance and I spent a lot of time watching New Hampshire, especially early in the season, where they sort of had this legacy group of players. And obviously Cameron falls in, into that group as well. Um, but what is it about these guys that just makes them so interesting? Is it like we remember their their dads? I mean, well, what is it?
2: Yeah, I think, well, and it, it was interesting, a comment that Mike made to me when we were sitting watching the game. He said something about not only these guys who all played together early on, like he, Mike was telling me how he played against Vladimir Guerrero Sr. You know, he has a relationship with David Ortiz. A lot of these um, a lot of these guys who just sort of connected early on. He mentioned Raul Ibanez, um, a few other guys, too, that stay in pretty regular contact. And Mike told me, he goes, the interesting thing about this, he said, obviously, all these guys, he said, you know, like Vlade Jr., you know, Dez, Bo Bichette, some of these other guys, he goes, they're all going to have that pressure of being compared to their dads, with you know good reason, um, because they, their dads had those reputations that went before them. But he said something that I think is really cool is that all these guys are going to have a special bond that other players won't have, because they're all kind of coming into the system the same way. You know, they're coming in as the child of a former professional. They have to sort of dig out their own niche in the system. And it's, it's really about balancing the pressure of, are you going to be as good as your dad was? Are you going to be better than your dad was? And just constantly being questioned as far as identity goes. And so seeing the way these guys interact, you can tell that they appreciate having each other around. I know Daz mentioned that too, um, having friendships like that. And he, he and Vladdy have actually gotten to uh, get to know each other as well. So it's, it's a special connection for them. And I think just having that to fall back on in the pressure of having to navigate the minor league system is really, really special to have for them.
3: Do you think it's more consistent that the legacy child, I guess we could call him, mimics the performance of his elder, or is it is it more common that you see there's there's staunch differences between the two, Emily?
2: Um, as far as sizing up some of the bigger names that are currently playing, I think the one who I would say struck me as the most different um is the swing of Bo and Dante mm-hmm. That There there was some similarity, but Bo almost has a little bit more of his own shape to it. And then you have, you know, Daz Cameron, and then you have obviously Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who's a mirror image of his father, you know, in a lot of different ways. And so for them, um, Daz told me you know, he goes, I get that question all the time, do I want to hit like my dad? And he said, of course I want to hit like my dad. My dad was a good hitter. He's like, that's, that's an obvious answer right there. Yeah. But he said, I'm never going to be my dad. And so what I have to focus on is trying to find that same success with my own stamp and with my own identity. Because he said, do I want that success that my dad had? Absolutely, I do but I'm going to have to do it in my own way. So I think the admiration of what their dad's accomplished is there. Um, but they're they're realizing, you know, I can't do that because I'm not going to be him. So I have to figure out my own way to go about doing that.
3: Yeah, that's very interesting. And all this obviously wraps around the fact that, Emily, I believe about a week ago or so, you were down in the Arizona Fall League watching some games. And I believe it was with a lot of the baseball HQ folks. and they put together a fantastic weekend. But uh, I guess just kicking it off, how was the weekend, number one, that you were there? And uh, I know you've been there in the past. Did you notice anything different in the talent, in the you know reception of it by the fans? Like, what exactly do you think changed the most for you in the in the two or three years you were there? I'm not exactly sure how many times you've
2: gone. Yeah, this is actually my second time that mm-hmm. I went. Last year was a little bit more of a quick trip because it was last minute, so didn't really get the chance to see as much as I saw this time around. But this mm-hmm. year. And I talked to a few scouts about this. This year was a really special group of guys, mm-hmm. really special group of guys. And it was not only the talent level, but another aspect of it that really impressed me was the quality of character in these players. I mean, I don't think I've ever been called ma'am that many times. <laughs> my, my hands shaken, and, and thank you for, you know, covering us. And thank you for, you know, being here to support us. just very, very much a, a scene of gratitude from these guys. You could tell they've all been raised really, really well, and they're just very appreciative to have the opportunities that they have. So as far as um, the talent level, I think it really kind of struck us in the Fall Stars game because it was such a good game. I mean, you had Nate Pearson, Forrest Whitley, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Taylor Trammell, Buddy Reed, like some of the top, top guys in their organizations right now, all on the same field doing crazy plays, and it came down to a walk-off, which is what everybody likes to see. So that that really kind of put the stamp on having such a special season for them, and it's, it was really fun to see a lot of these guys in action.
1: Yeah, it was definitely appropriate that with that group, that's how that game ended. And, uh, yeah, even watching here from home, it was a blast. Uh, I hope they, they start broadcasting some more AFL games. I know there were some rumored potential changes and things like that in the works i think there's a new commissioner next year if i'm not mistaken is that correct
2: yes i believe that they are going to have a new one in effect for next season and mike Farron, who is one of my good good friends who handles a lot of the broadcasting for the fall the fall games is um he's very much in support of that idea he loves you know, having having more chances to kind of broadcast that stuff. I know that he would definitely be a favorite to to provide more of that. He's based out of Arizona, so it's very much convenient for him. Um, and I think if the league can kind of see what an impact it has on you know the attention it gets and the listeners that it gets, I think it could really drum up some more stuff and hopefully you know bring some more uh, television broadcasts as well.
1: Yeah. And it was kind of funny, like randomly, I-, I work sort of later hours. So I'm driving home at like, you know, seven, seven thirty 30 at night and I'll have on MLB network just because I have XM radio. So I'll throw it on in the car. And, uh, it's hilarious. They broadcast some of the games, like probably three games a week. They'll broadcast from Arizona. I'm like, why don't you just you have the cameras to set it up. Get us some games. We need some baseball. There's nothing to watch. Come on. <laughs> especially you guys like me that don't watch that much football. But um, if you don't mind, Emily, I wanted to get into some of the players here uh, that you probably saw the fall stars game. And, and while you were out there, I know one of the big names right now. And, and he's hot. He's got the, the Cubs fan bump right now. But did you get a chance to sort of uh, watch Nico Horner? And if so, what were your impressions?
2: I saw a lot of Nico Horner, and it was funny because when I watched the South Bend affiliate earlier in the year, he hadn't obviously arrived yet because he didn't get there until the middle of the summer, and so I didn't get a chance to see him during the regular season with my schedule, Um, but what I heard about him was 100% true. He's so advanced as a hitter, so advanced as a hitter. He barrels everything. Um, He's got a lot more... um, raw power than i expected because he's not he's not small but he's not really overwhelming size wise if that makes sense um just kind of like an average size guy and so to me i didn't expect to see that type of power from him but he's so comfortable in the box he understands you know um you know commanding the strike zone so to speak he's he's very very confident as a hitter And I know that a lot of people have kind of begged the question of if he'll stay at shortstop. Um, He handled it fine when I saw him. He didn't really show any missteps or miscues of any kind. And you can tell that he's he's really kind of a, he's an Ian Kinsler type is what I've kind of compared him to. He's got that, you know, get your nose in the dirt, gritty (laughs) style of play. And there's been some some questions that have come up about if he'll possibly move to second in the future, which I could see that. I could see that working. I think he's got the profile for it, but, you know, with, with his athleticism, you know, he could find a way to stick it short, but I think ultimately it's going to see what kind of the need the Cubs have and where they'll decide to shift him if they do shift him down the road.
3: And I know one of your personal favorite guys down there, Emily, was Jamai Jones, I believe, of the Angels. He was a guy, I believe there was a lot of other players admiring the work ethic of And he's a guy that's kind of jumping on some radars, but at the same time, I feel like he's been overshadowed by some of the more dynamic, athletic talent that the Angels have in Joe Adele and Jordan Adams. So what did you see from Jemai Jones?
2: Jemai, I think the most impressive thing about him to me was just the very steady, steady nature that he has. He's got so much raw power. He's built like a football player. His whole family is built like football players. Both of his brothers play football. Um, one of them, uh, TJ Jones, he actually plays for the Detroit Lions. Um, so he, he's got that bloodline of being a football player. And I know Demi played in high school um, before he shifted his focus to baseball. So he's got that, that footwork of a football player. If you watch the way he runs, he definitely has that same footwork. But just a very, very easy swing. Um that was something that really impressed me is that there was very little effort to the power that he had with his swing. It's a very fluid swing, balanced swing. He he can control really, really well um when he's in the strike zone. And so just the steadiness was really what was most impressive to me. Um defensively. He's sound. He's just he's a very athletic kid. Very, very athletic kid. Not I mean, little to no one is going to match the athleticism of Joe Adele. We all know that. That's just, yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joe's a bit of a freak if we're going to be real about it. <laughs> um, but with Jamai, I think Jamai's consistency, he's got a good eye at the plate. Um, he doesn't chase very often. They, the Angels really have a special thing with him. And I know um, I ran into Brad Hoffman, um, who obviously has a transition into a role with the Angels. And he, particularly with finding time to talk with Jemai, because um, I think what he's really trying to do is get to know some of the more quickly moving prospects in the organization. So he's definitely one who's jumped under a lot of people's radars.
0: Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile Service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase. The more, the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal.
3: Do you think that the Angels have one of the more underrated farm systems in terms of top-end talent, Emily?
2: You know, I don't know if I'd say underrated. I think that there's good developments taking place. Mm -hmm. I think that they still have some strengthening that's needed before I'd, you know, qualify them as more of an underrated club. But I think some of the guys that they've gotten, like the Jamar Jones, the Joe Adults, um, you know, all those guys, it's, it's a strengthening system. But I think they still have a little bit of work ahead of them.
3: And how about jumping over to a National League team now in the Cincinnati Reds? Uh, lefty bat, I know a lot of people that are very interested in terms of the combination of tools that he's able to provide. Is Taylor Trammell, who obviously is uh, probably one or two on that list after Hunter Green went down at Tommy John. Maybe it's Trammell one now on most lists. But uh, did you see him use all five tools? Do you believe in all five tools manifesting at the major league level? I think that's probably the question I'm most interested in because he seems to be one of the guys in the – kind of maybe Lewis Brinson variety of, of player, of minor league player, where it's a lot of tools that we hope they all could hit, but do you think there's any risk that maybe only one or two hits and he's not an elite talent?
2: You know, from what I saw from Taylor, you know, going back to the character thing, Taylor is probably one of the most, you know, kind-hearted, respectful kids, I think, that I spoke to the entire time that I was out there, and that, that always impresses me when you can have that type of success and then still manage to keep a good head on your shoulders. That's absolutely what Taylor has done.
0: Um, And as
2: far as all five tools, I would say I saw all five, but not to the degree that I'm convinced that they'll all translate, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I I saw bits and pieces of them, though, and I think for him, I'm trying to remember, is he, I think he's 21?
3: Yep, he's 21.
2: Yeah, and so I think... being at the age that he's at, he's a lot like Dez Cameron. He's also really good friends with Dez Cameron. Um, and so having, being at that point in your development, I think that there's a chance that they could translate. Um, and the, the challenge with the fall week is that it's very small sample size, very small sample size. And so I think next year we'll get a better idea of how much he develops in off-season training, how he does in the spring, and then we could see a lot more mature version of him next year, and that'll tell us more to the story.
1: You know, it seems like every single player we're going to ask you about today is an absolute freak athlete. So I'm going to jump into another one. And I think a guy that has had, uh, I guess, disjointed uh, professional career thus far since coming stateside. And that's Louis Robert, uh, not to be confused with Lance's favorite Louis Robier. But uh, what were your impressions of Louis Robert?
2: You know, I was, I can very vividly remember my first interaction with Louise, and that was standing during batting practice. And the guys were going through their groups and, you know, taking some swings. And I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, you know how you can kind of sense the really, really large person comes up next to you, and you're very (laughs) small and insignificant? That was what I felt as I was approached by Louise Roberts. So, for for that, everything I've been told, I I tweeted out something that Scout told me. He said, if you ever want to feel extremely insignificant, go stand next to Louise Robert. And it's absolutely true. Such a nice kid. Really, really nice kid. He has very limited English, so it was it was a very short conversation between the two of us. But, you know, smiled, nod, said, hello, how are you? And he was off and finished his work. And I just thought, that's a very, very large human being right there. Very, very large human being. <laughs> and he, he's the kind of person that, I think has a lot more potential than some of the, the other international prospects that have been pursued. Um, I think some of them, I don't want to say fizzled. I think that's a little little harsh of a term, but some of them maybe weren't quite as elite as first advertised. But I think with Luis, if he can stay healthy, that's really a big thing for him. If, if he can stay at 100%, I think he's really going to be a big contributor down the road. And He showed a lot of that during this fall season.
1: Yeah. And I kind of wanted to dig into that a little bit too, uh, kind of piggybacking on what Lance said, but in terms of he's a five tool guy, in terms of those five tools, really, what did you see? Um, what are the ones that you maybe have the biggest questions about? Because I know we're all a little concerned as fantasy owners, kind of bring it back to a fantasy slant. This is Rasball after all, uh, is the power. You know, we haven't seen the, the power production, especially since he's come stateside. That's obviously a concern, but from the body, the swing, I think we all think it's coming, but what are your thoughts?
2: I do think it's coming. I think the most impressive thing I saw from him was definitely his speed. Um, I saw power, but it was, it was a little bit spotty. It wasn't a consistent power, but I think there was enough of it there to really be able to solidify, like, yeah, it's, it's here. It's just a matter of him tapping into it and being able to access it on a regular basis. Um, and so I would definitely agree with you on that. I think in regards to, who, who he will develop into is going to be somebody really fun to watch. I just, I don't think all the pieces are quite there, but you know, if you, if you are a fantasy owner, don't take that as write them off, take that as you're going to have to be patient, which I know is the last thing the fantasy owner wants to hear.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, of course. But the other thing too, I wanted to ask now, just kind of, once again, jumping into the the power thing, do you think it's more of a quality of contact thing or is it more of a pitch selection thing?
2: You know, I think for him it's more pitch wise. I think that that aspect, which is why I'm not writing it off. I think it's really just going to be seasoning for him, and um, be able to to get more comfortable in the box, be able to read stuff a little bit better. I think he controls the barrel pretty well from what I saw. I didn't get to see a ton of games with him, and so again, going back to the small sample size, I liked what I saw in his swing. It was very fluid. It was very comfortable, confident. But I think for him, being able to show that on a more regular basis, he's going to have to sharpen his eye um, from what I saw again. And I think that will dictate a bit more of the power consistency that we'll see from him next season.
3: Absolutely. And and going over to a team in the Padres that I know is absolutely loaded with talent from top to bottom, especially some of those deeper depth guys that I, I doubt even people know about. Uh, one of the ones that was on Showcase out in the Arizona, Arizona Fall League that I think most people wanted to see some development of, especially after his performance in the Futures game, was Buddy Reed. And he had, I believe, the game-tying triple in that, all, in that Fall Stars game. Excuse me. And uh, another lefty bat here, a little bit longer of a swing. There's some swing and miss there, but he's another Supreme athlete as well. Um, how does he compare to Robert, Robert, excuse me, geez, and Trammell, Emily? <laughs> I always slip up on it. Blue Bob, Blue Bob, He's so, so French. <laughs>
2: No, I think I think for Buddy Reed, and I, I got to see a lot of him when he was in the Midwest League, um, not not too long ago. Um, and the thing that I really was impressed most with most with with him was the fact that he was able to show power from both sides of the plate. And for his build, you wouldn't expect that because he's still he's a bit on the skinnier side. He's a tall, tall guy. I want to say he's about six four, um, but he's bulked up a little bit. And, and I think for that, it's showing that he's got a little bit more pop to his to his swing, which is only going to make him more valuable. Because as a defender, I mean, he's like a seven runner. He's just insanely fast. And there was there was kind of a running joke going um, about who was the fastest guy on the team. Because I think it was I think it was Pache that they were talking about as being the fastest guy on the team. And as I was told from one of my contacts, um, Buddy Reed didn't want to take that line down because <laughs> he, he may have been the fastest guy on the team. So a lot of like really good-natured competition um, that took place in the fall league, you and know, all these guys have so much respect for each other, and um, that that was one of the, the fun parts about it. But, yeah, with Buddy Reed, he for him, I think it's going to be pitch selection. Um, I saw him, saw him chase a little bit. When I was down there, um, but his contact was really, really good when it when it was there. So I think for him, it's gonna kind of be reading off speed stuff a little bit better, and I think that should come with time.
3: Do you think Buddy Reed or Christian Pache would win that race, Emily? I want to know. You know,
2: it's I tough, right? Say, I would say Buddy Reed just because I know how stubborn he is, and Uh-oh, he not he doesn't like to lose. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love it.
1: Yeah, forget the forget the Phil Tiger uh, golf off on uh, Thanksgiving. We should just we should just schedule that race and we could stream that live and have people pay money to watch it. Cause I think I probably would, or like a, or like a a home run hitting competition between like Peter Alonzo and like uh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I guess Will Craig right now because Will Craig yeah. is, is is all the rage. Did you catch any Will Craig by the way while you were out there, Emily?
2: You know, I only saw one game with him and it showed some pretty good stuff, but it was, it's so hard when you only see one game. And that was the first time I saw him all season. So it was kind of hard to gauge, you know, exactly progress or projection, but it was still, it was fun to watch him because I've obviously read a lot and seen a lot of video and talked to scouts about him and um, definitely put up some good stuff this year for sure.
1: Yeah, I saw him down in Bradenton at the beginning of 2017, and then I saw him last summer in July, and he was like a completely different hitter. I mean, just entirely in terms of the swing. I mean, he just looked like a different guy. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm rooting for him, that he can continue to tap into more power and uh, maybe get a little bit of his uh, his, his uh, on on-base ability back because he kind of lost that a little bit as he sold out for power. But Lance, any other prospects you wanted to ask Emily about from her Fall League uh,
2: stay.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, just along the lines of some of these Will Craig-style guys that maybe people don't know about, were there any non-top prospects that stood out to you, Emily, that you kind of came away from from the weekend with uh, a, a renewed or inspired interest in?
2: Yeah, I would say as far as maybe names that aren't quite known as well, um, Shed Long, one of um, Taylor Trammell's teammates, um, he was somebody that showed really some very scrappy play, which I loved. I love seeing guys who will, you know, chase everything defensively and are darting all over the field. And um, he was definitely one who uh, who showed some of that as well. Lucius Fox, and um, he was another one that um, a couple of scouts actually came over and asked me about Lucius Fox because I had mentioned to somebody that I had seen him play at the lower levels before, and he he caught attention. He really caught attention. He's a little bit like a like a quick twitch energizer bunny defensively. Like mm-hmm. he'll dive after everything, chase after everything. Just a really good high energy presence to have. Um, and then Austin Leesby, who was somebody who kind of came out of the woodwork. I, I had yeah. heard his name before, um, but the really what impressed me the most, I think, was the power that he had. Kind of deceptive. <laughs> you mm-hmm. don't really necessarily expect that from him, but he put out... Um, some really good raw power at the plate in the games that I saw. Um, and then another guy who's kind of climbing the ladder, too, a little bit is Ryan McKenna from Baltimore. Um, and he, he was somebody who put up some very impressive offensive numbers. Good contact rate, really good play discipline. Um, and he's somebody that Orioles fans should definitely be excited about.
1: I know there's a rumor that I'm Dusty Colorado, but in reality, I'm actually the Dusty Colorado of Ryan McKenna. I have a joking fan Twitter handle that's based around Ryan McKenna. He's like my favorite minor league prospect. I had him in my top 100 midseason last year. I, I watched a, a ton of him early in the year, uh, and then and then when he was you know he was promoted to the Eastern League, I caught a little bit of him. And he's a, number one, a phenomenal athlete. I, I love uh, the uh, the plate approach. You know, he takes a ton of walks, takes a ton of pitches, fouls stuff off, battles from a bat to a bat, which always sells me because that's a guy that's going to grind pitchers down, and that's going to click in the major league level, and it's it's going to allow him to get to his power, which he's done this year. He made a really slight swing adjustment, dropped his hands a little bit, and he's been hitting a lot more fly balls, driving the ball a lot more, and he's probably this isn't saying much because they're full of softball players, but he's probably the best runner in that Baltimore organization. Um, I love Ryan McKenna. I think he's going to be like a, a future borderline all-star center fielder. I'm a nutcase about, about him. <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to be Mike Trout, but I'm, I'm saying he's going to be Mike Trout.
3: <laughs> I love it. And, and obviously, Emily, we mentioned at the top of the show that you cover the Tigers prospects, and the very deep knowledge of them. I think you just kind of redid your top 30 or 20. I think it might have been 20. But uh, I think I wanted to dig in, I think me and Ralph both wanted to dig into a little bit more of some of maybe the sleeper pitchers and hitters that you think could become more relevant in the next couple of years that maybe people aren't talking about, specifically on the Tigers list.
2: Yeah, I would say um, pitching-wise, some of the guys who I've been championing, so to speak, um, specifically are Zach Huston and John Shriver. Um, Schreiber was one who was sent out to Arizona, and I got to see him through a couple outings and for him, the thing that the thing I really like about Schreiber is the fact that he has so much deception, but he's starting to realize what he has to do to survive against more advanced hitting. Um, he made the jump to double A this year, and really, <laughs> he'll tell you, he goes, it wasn't pretty. It was not a pretty transition. <laughs> <laughs> um, going against Eastern League hitters is not easy. That's that's kind of the, the thing where it starts to click for hitters, and so if you're a pitcher who doesn't have 97 miles an hour in their back pocket, you really have to get deceptive. And so the fact that he had the challenges he had early in the year, and he was able to make some adjustments that showed some good success out in Arizona, that's, that's a big step for him. And then with uh, Zach Houston, um, he's somebody who I've seen since the get-go, and he really kind of came into his own this year, um, got the chance to show some of his stuff in Toledo, um, at the Triple E level, and that's that's a big piece for him because he's got the velocity, he's got the off-speed mix, and for him, it's just a matter of polishing that and the the success and just how advanced he was at that level early on was really impressive to me. So those are two arms specifically that I've really been excited to watch. Any
1: any bats in particular? Uh, and actually, I wanted to ask you: Have you had a chance to catch any uh, Brock Dethridge or any Cody Clemens?
2: I have seen a great deal of both of those guys. (laughs) Um, I got to watch a lot of them in the Midwest League. Um, Obviously, we all heard about Brock Dethridge and the way he stormed the Gulf Coast League, and they finally just kicked him out. But fine, you're good. Go play against some tougher competition. (laughs) And so getting getting him um, sent to West Michigan, Cody Clemens actually started out in West Michigan. That was his first assignment. Both of them, I think, are really going to be fun guys to watch. I personally think Deathridge was a bit of a steal um, for the Tigers. There is some some swing and miss issues for him. As a defender, he's found he's about, again, about a seven-runner. He tells me he's closer to an eight-runner. I kind of fight him on that a little bit. (laughs) Um, But as far as his natural ability, he used to play football too. So he's got that light on his toes type of footwork in the outfield. Um, and then the fact that he showed some pretty decent pop at the plate, I think is, is a sign of something that will develop a little bit more further down the road. And for him, it's really going to be about pitch recognition. Um, and he just gets a bit overly aggressive, um, you know, getting ready to hit. And I think he just has to kind of tone it down a little bit, um, kind of get into a little bit more of a stable mindset. And then obviously, you know, Cody Clements showed us, while he was in Texas, what he's able to do offensively, and he, he showed a bit more of that with the Tiger system. Um, it wasn't quite as quick um, as it was when he was in college, but that's, you know, it's a typical adjustment these guys have to make. There's a very, very uh, <laughs> mythical belief, if you will, about these guys who are advanced in college and then they come to the minor league level and people go, well, they were a stud in college. They should be able to handle this. Not true. Not the case. And so for guys like Cody, you know, who showed so much ability there, he had to make that transition. Brock Dessert had to make that transition. So it's going to be a process for them. But they both made huge progress, finished the year in the Florida State League, and I think they could move pretty quick next year if they see the same success.
1: Yeah, I was unfortunate because all of those good prospects that the Tigers drafted, any of the interesting players, none of them touched Connecticut. Like, I went to, I went to probably – half a dozen Connecticut Tigers games and and I don't think I saw anybody that even remotely interested me. I totally missed Parker Meadows when he was there too because all the games where he was there, I ended up getting rained out. but uh, I saw a lot of Israel de la Cruz and I, I saw him I saw him run a a three point nine from from home to first. That was pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, he's somebody who he's kind of been off the grid a little bit, but some of the stuff he put up this year, I think, really started to catch attention. And yeah, like with with the weather, like Connecticut had a tough year. There was, oh, <laughs> there, yeah. was there I, had, a two, lot
1: I had two rained out doubleheaders on back to back days. I was like, I'm gonna get four baseball games in in two days. My wife was gonna let me go to the games. I was bringing my my oldest uh, to the second doubleheader, and. They got rained out consecutively, and it was against uh, it was against uh, the Yankees Staten Island team. So they were loaded with pitchers. It was like Gil Contreras. There was all these guys that were going. And I missed all of them. Yeah, it was a rough year with weather there for sure.
3: <laughs> and looking forward to next year, where hopefully the weather is better all across oh, the United States. So. Uh, <laughs> who are some? Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm interested, Emily, in not even players specifically, but maybe even just trends or anything you're watching in particular as far as the Tigers organization or outside of the Tigers organization that interests you heading into 2019?
2: Yeah, I would say specifically with the Tigers, um, I think we're seeing more of the upswing of the pitchers we've been talking about for so long. Um, I think when the main guys that they got, like, you know, the Bo Burrows, Matt Manning, um, we'll see Casey Mize for the first time next season. I think we're going to see that group shift pretty quickly upwards. I mean, that is something that the Tigers are wanting. Um, The trend that I would like to see improve is positional talent, which Detroit does not have in the pipeline right now, at least not for a couple more years. And so for them, hopefully they're able to kind of take advantage of some of the free agency that's available. Um, We'll see what they do in the rule five draft. They've got two slots open on the 40 man right now, and they have until November the 20th to protect guys So that's going to be pretty interesting to see who they choose to protect and what type of moves um, they're going to make. Um, Because they've got guys like Anthony Castro, who really, he did some really impressive stuff this year. He added a couple of ticks to his fastball. He is eligible for Rule 5. Derek Hill, the curious case of Derek Hill, is eligible for Rule 5. And there's a couple other guys that we're going to have to see what they decide to do with them. Um, Because they're in a rebuild, as we all know. So they're going to have to makes and moves, shift some things around. And I personally am curious to see what they decide to do with that. Um, but as far as other trends, um, I was talking to a couple of scouts in Arizona, and all of us were saying, like, do you remember back when guys who threw 97, 98 miles an hour was very, very hard? And now you're looking at guys like Nate Pearson, who I personally watched hit 105 miles an hour was barely breaking his sweat. You've got Forrest Whitley, who hit 100 miles an hour. You've got, you know, the former pitcher, Anthony Ghost <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> who
2: was throwing 100 miles an hour, you know, all, all behind this, the the wave of Aroldis Chapman 2.0. And velocity is it's everywhere now. These guys are throwing insanely hard. And so that, that's been an interesting trend, just from the games that I've seen, and just the curiosity of, how is that going to be health wise? You know, or is it going to be like, you know, the the Birdie brothers who both had to undergo surgery because they were throwing so hard? Is it mm. going to be, you know, some of these other the other arms who have gotten to to be known for throwing so hard? Do these teams know how to handle and how to, you know, sort of guide and direct that type of velocity without risking injury? Because no matter no matter how much life you have on your fastball and what you're mixing in there. It's like, extremely hard on your arm extremely hard on your arm so you know it's really going to come down to how the teams can manage it and handle it and see how it works out for some of these younger guys
3: absolutely uh ralph do we have anything else for emily
1: no i don't know do you have anything else you want to throw at her i could probably pepper her with like tiger's questions for another hour but uh (laughs) You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to like overstay our welcome here. You know, she was nice enough to come back and actually talk to us. So, I don't know, Lance, is there anything else you wanted to ask? What did you? Oh, add there,
2: um, throw, try some some quick fire, rapid fire questions.
3: Okay. Um, in one word, describe Luis Patino. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do a little caveat there? Because I'm sure you have stories that I don't know if we've uh, released on this podcast that I know the world would love. How about I, I this because, like, like
2: that, I could stay here and talk to you guys for another hour. One word for Luis Patino? Exceptional. Exceptional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's it, he is just absolutely exploded. It, it seems like this the second half of this season. I mean, I. I mean, do we all agree that he's a top 100 prospect at this point?
3: Yeah, I would say yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, I think I think that's pretty simple. And I almost feel like he's leapfrogged a lot of arms in that system and players that we thought were really interesting. And I know you actually got a chance to see a lot of um, Fort Wayne players. So, who was the guy that impressed you outside of Patino? Who was the guy that impressed you the most in that Fort Wayne team? Um,
2: yeah, the ones that I remember that I got to see at least a pretty good amount of time from, um, which, and Lance, you and I have talked about him saying his name correctly, Estuary Ruiz?
3: Yeah, I believe it's Estuary, I
2: think. Estuary. I think. That's a name I've always struggled with, but he was one who I really enjoyed, Luis Campifano. Um, he was another one. And um, Michael Cantu showed some good stuff. Um, Gabriel Arias, He he's raw, but I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, and I know that that's somebody that um, the Padres have mentioned that they really like as far as projection goes. Um, Jack Sawinski, he was kind of a an, a pleasant surprise um, for the team. And then Tirso Nelas, he was um, somebody who they got out of Mexico um, who went from, and I quote, being pudgy when they first discovered him, and he's somehow transformed into a little bit of a hercules type build yeah <laughs> he's a very very solid character. that he i mean he's just ripped he's absolutely ripped i think he's still 18 i don't know if he has he turned 19 yet
3: i think he might be 19 by now but he was on he's another guy as you mentioned was injured he was injured for like the whole second half they just didn't bring him back
2: yeah and i believe it was something that had to do with his wrist if yeah. i remember correctly it was some kind of a wrist injury um, but those are a couple of guys that were really fun. Like they, Fort Wayne just consistently puts out a very young team, but it's always a very exciting team to watch.
3: Absolutely. Terso is still 18. Actually, he turns 19 in March looking at his Fangraphs page right now. But yeah, that was a really fun team. Uh, rapid fire questions here, Ralph. We got, we got a couple more. Um, how do you feel about the new logos that we've seen in the MILB, Emily, between, <laughs> between the Sod Poodles and some of the other ones that have come out?
2: Are we talking logos or are we talking team
3: names? We'll go names. We'll go names.
2: Names? Yeah. I think they are very creative. Um, I don't know if personally I'd want a team called the Trash Pandas. Yep. But, you know, it's if, if the fans enjoy it, like it's – minor league baseball has kind of just taken this identity of, you know, being able to provide a fun environment for the fans, you know, an enjoyable experience for families – you know, do the players want to tell everybody, yeah, who do you play for? Oh, I'm a trash panda. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: You know, it's not, it's not something that they, I think, particularly take great joy in. I think they try and, you know, find the humor in it. I remember I, I spoke with a player um, with the Orioles system who was in double A with um, the Bowie Bay Sox. And he said that he and a couple of the guys sat around one night and they thought, do any of us know what a Bay Sox is? we're all just kind of sat there and he said we've got a mascot but it's not like a sock. he goes i think it's a fish but i don't know <laughs> he goes, we're all kind of confused most of the time
3: <laughs> oh man i don't i don't think anyone will be able to tell what a trash panda or a sod poodle is so uh i, I think that goes without saying that there are some very unique utterly <laughs> names out there and i'm sure many more to come i feel like they have to eat, outdo themselves every year um but uh, (laughs) any other rapid fire questions here, Rob, before we let Emily go?
1: Sure. I have to ask about park, uh, Parker Meadows before we get off here. All right. What have you, what have you heard about Parker Meadows from folks in the organization that you talked to?
2: I think that we are going to see what the tigers are hoping we see. I have only seen very limited stuff from him. I didn't actually get to see him in person this year because of my, my travel schedule and his promotion schedule and all that. But I think we are going to see what we're hoping for. I don't know if it'll be as flashy as some people are hoping for, but I think there's power there. I think there's speed there. I think there's instincts there. And I think it's going to be a process of him just sort of developing his identity. But I think the athleticism and the power that he's got at such a young age, I think really gonna, they're going to be fun to watch develop over the next couple of years.
3: I like it. Emily, thank you so much for joining us as always here. Um, we have to do this. This has to be like a perennial thing. Every year we have to sit down with you and pick your brain again because you got to so much baseball and we love the perspective and the reporting you do that you were able to shine a light on a lot of the guys from a different angle than me and Ralph do sitting here watching video and getting out and getting looks. But I, I love the reporting and you take on a lot of things and me and Ralph both ad, admire and uh, are very thankful that you came on once again. Um, anything you want to plug?
2: Um, I would say really the only stuff that I have coming out right now. I've got a fun little feature with um, you know Sarah that I actually can't divulge too much information about. It's going to be very very fun though, so keep it, keep an eye on the Athletic MLB for that one. It's going to be a little minor league twist to it, um, and then I will have for Tigers listeners. I'll have my Rule Five protection predictions. Um, for guys who I think the team will choose to protect once the deadline comes around. And then we'll have to kind of wait and see who will be available when uh, the rule five takes place and see what else happens. This could be a really interesting off season.
3: I love it. All Emily's work can be found uh, by searching your name, Emily Walden, I believe at the athletic.com. You're also Emily C Walden on Twitter, right? That's, that's your handle. Correct. I'm pretty sure. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Follow you there. You have a ton of followers and you are often generous with the likes and the retweets, which we very much appreciate. So, for everyone at the Reswell Network here and Prospects Live, we really appreciate it, Emily, again, for you coming on. And uh, to everyone listening, check out Emily's stuff. Check out the Jake Rogers post. The AFL uh, check-in story was really really good if you're into Tigers prospects. And keep an eye out for that uh, that con with Eno Saris because I'm sure that's going to get a lot of buzz, and we all love Eno as well. So thank you very much to everyone for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day.